welcome to Own Goal Podcast. Date of recording, October 18th, 2022. And we are following a most historic day as Karim Benzema has won the Ballon d'Or, as I predicted would happen many years ago. And it's just a great day for the sport that you can blackmail your teammate with a sex tape. But if you're nasty enough at soccer, they'll still give you the top individual honor in the sport. And that's really a beautiful thing, in my opinion. So, honestly, Donnie, the only thing that we actually learned that uh, eliminates you from being able to win the Ballon d'Or is being German. <laughs> because when it was going to be Lewandowski, they just can't, the Frenchies canceled the whole thing. And honestly, I get where they're coming from. Well, I guess you mean being Polish. He's Polish. Shit. Oh. <laughs> Well, is he? I mean, he is, but... Is he? <laughs> is he? <laughs> I can't wait for Preston's email after this. So, yeah, we're going to get into all that, as well as some other major world events that have happened in the five weeks we've been off. But first... To the byline. It's in! It's an up goal! It's a gift! Well, he's almost done well to get that in, because he's ahead of the near post. It's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. It goes straight into the bottom of the corner, bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball, it's the inside of his car. Got no chance to win the keeper. Astonishing position to get the play into. Proving that age is just a number, Karim Benzema, at the age of 34 years old, won the Ballon d'Or yesterday, but when you guys are listening to this two days ago, it was awesome. We all knew it was coming. And you especially knew it was coming when Zidane was one bald Algerian Frenchman passing the award to another. Zidane was the last Frenchman to win the Ballon d'Or. But very interesting note here. Benzema is the second oldest player to ever win the Ballon d'Or, only behind the first ever recipient of the Ballon d'Or, Sir Stanley Matthews of Blackpool, who won the award at 42. It's incredible. That record will never be broken. When was the Ballon d'Or first handed out? 1956. Okay, okay. So he was probably like smoking cigarettes and drinking beer at halftime. Which honestly makes it even more impressive that he was uh, top of the game at, at 42. He's also the only British soccer player to be knighted while actively still playing the sport. So he was Sir. Yeah, Sir Stanley Matthews, yeah. Sir Stanley Matthews. And it's also wild that uh, Blackpool has a Ballon d'Or winner and other clubs such as Chelsea, <laughs> Arsenal, Tottenham <laughs> do not have Ballon d'Or winners. Um, but what a moment for Benzema. He had his, um, his mom and his uh, child on stage with him. Yeah, it was, it was sweet. You know, nobody has had more of dog story in all of world football than Kareem Benzema. I mean, he all he tried to do was pursue his amateur uh, film filmmaking and uh, directorial interests, and the amount of backlash he got from that, and he thought he'd never recover. You were not, you're never one of those people, Donald, and yeah. you feel like you can look on as a proud father to this man who is uh, five years your senior. <laughs> It was weird because that's how I felt when it happened. It was like, I remember in the hallway at high school, my buddy who played on my soccer team with me, Alistair, telling me about this striker at Leon Benzema. And that's when he first came on my radar. And I've been following him ever since. And I have wanted Manu to buy him <laughs> since I was in high school. <laughs> because Alistair was a Manu fan. So uh, he was like, yeah, you know, they have this um, six striker at Leon, And you've... What I've always said is very unique about Benzema is for years and years and years, we watched him thrive as not the guy, as the number two guy. And some guys can be the guy, and some guys can be the number two guy. But not a lot of guys can be both. Yeah, that's that's a very great point, very astute point. And, you know, the season he had last year was absolutely incredible. The and, numbers are disgusting. You know, I, 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 do, I do think... It, it all makes sense, right? We are, what, a quarter of the way through the season? So it makes sense that now we hand out the Ballon d'Or for the, the best player in the world. Uh, so so I don't think he had that good of a, of a start this, the, the, these first 
10 games as he had last year. But, you know, it's, it's fine. But with the new rules, they finally don't do it on a calendar year system, and so these first 10 games don't count. Then why are they handing it out on on the calendar the calendar system? Okay. So you got you got you to figure out how much trap. progress. You my trap, little fly. We've, we've made so much progress. First, they used to give out the award end of December, early January for a calendar year, which makes no sense because no – like a calendar year is a stat people like to throw around in soccer – that actually doesn't mean anything because all that matters is what you do from August to May. The calendar stats mean something to me. <laughs> I finally have what I care about. What's the calendar stat that you care about? Milan are the only team. Uh, <laughs> you're already starting to laugh. Milan are the only team in this calendar year who are undefeated on the road. That doesn't mean anything. You're combi- it's combining seasons from the f- last half of one season and the first half of another season. It doesn't mean yeah. anything. Yeah, but it's about Milan. <laughs> but more importantly, Donnie, why don't we hand out this award now in June at the end of the season or, you know, in July at the end of the World Cup, LOL? Listen. I am listening. I'm trying to get a rational answer from somebody who cares about this shit. I care about the Ballon d'Or because I think when you win it, you, you cement yourself in history. I think, it, I think that I will... I've always I've considered myself a historian of the game, and I think that is why I love this award. But, you love all the awards, don't lie. No, but I love this one. <laughs> I like the other ones. I love this one. But, dude, the French run it. Like, you're asking me <laughs> to negotiate. These are the same people who would not, did not want Benzema in the national team and have now given him the most prestigious individual prize in the sport. You can't yeah, make sense I'm... with these people. Well, I, I think I do have an answer for how that happened. I, I'm pretty sure he got some blackmail on a couple of the members. Yeah, he's, he kind of seems like the guy who hires a PI and just gets a little bit of dirt on everybody. But um, Yeah, or, or a private photographer. <laughs> Well-deserved by Karim Benzema. Um, very cool stuff. Sadio Mane finished in second, and Kevin De Bruyne finished in third in terms of the top three voting. I, I probably would have had those flipped, but Mane did have a really good year uh, last season, and I, I've got no issue with that. I would if, I, if it was my ranking, I agree with you. I'd have him flip, but I don't have really an issue with it. Um, now, the... Again, it's just you're in a glass bubble right now. I mean, you have to literally put your lips on the phone. How is that? <laughs> How's this? Okay, this is good. Just continue. We're just leaving this in the podcast. Okay, good, good. Uh, for those who don't know, my uh, I'm having some technical difficulties, and we are doing this on the phone on my end, which is not how we normally do things. Um, but I have an issue with how does uh, Benzema win the Ballon d'Or for the best player in the world? <laughs> When somebody else wins the award for the best player at Benzema's position, yes, um, you're you're telling me Lewandowski was a better striker than Kareem Benzema, but Benzema won best player in the entire world, playing literally only as a striker the entire year. Okay, that doesn't add up. This striker award was literally just made so that they people feel less bad that. Like, Lewandowski will never win the Ballon d'Or. And it's literally the Lewandowski Cup Award. So, does he have to get it every single year? I think he'll get it next year, too. Actually, Holland will get it. But Holland might win the Ballon d'Or. No, Holland will win the Ballon (laughs) d'Or. So, So then Lewandowski Lewandowski will get this. Yep, checks out. The only way Lewandowski can win the Ballon d'Or is if he wins the World Cup with Poland. Or Germany, but I don't think that's that's possible. <laughs> I think it's a little too late for his one-time switch. Um, the last bit on the award front, Gavi won the Copa Trophy, and I actually had a big problem with this. Did you just, like, what did you just blow into the microphone? I blew a raspberry, you know, when you put your lips and tongue together, because Gavi winning that award is bullshit. There are definitely two guys who should have won it ahead of him, in my opinion. Absolutely. Jude Bellingham, who has been unreal. 100%. And, and Musiala, who is making Bayern not miss Lewandowski whatsoever. Yeah, it's... And, and like, 
Gavi seems, by all accounts, to be a really talented young player. Like, honestly, seemed like a well-deserved third-place season for this Copa Award. I, 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 I honestly, I need, I need. This reminds me of when the Oscars handed out the uh, the Academy Award to the wrong movie. I feel like somebody accidentally put the wrong name in the envelope. How is it not Musiala or Bellingham? I mean, honestly, how is it not Bellingham? And the reason why is that this award, these award, voters, these they've always had a Barcelona bias. They're French. Yep. And they you know what bus, it is? They, they, they hate the Germans, and all and, and these two players, Musiala and Bellingham, play in the Bundesliga. True. True. Good point. Good point. And, and I don't know why. Everyone fucking loves Barcelona. I fucking hate them. It's so annoying. Um, speaking of annoying, Jurgen Klopp is annoying, <laughs> and his play. This is really quick. Just... Quick reminder to everybody: it's been a hot minute since we last recorded. So Donnie's next point may seem slightly dated, but it's not. But it is. But it's not. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is. I'm literally talking to the creases of Eric's hand. It kind of looks like a butt, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Um. So I think I'm breaking out in some sort of hive all of a sudden. What the fuck is happening to my arm? Um, well, Jurgen Klopp is annoying, and Liverpool have been so bad that actually after they got dismantled by Napoli, um, the Queen died. What are you saying, Johnny? Well, what I'm well, not what I'm saying, but what is being said around the world is that Jurgen Klopp actually killed Queen Elizabeth II, which is pretty fucked up. It's being said around the world. Are I you guarantee saying, you one other you person. Saying, you, one, there are seven and a half billion people in the world. One other person besides me is blaming Klopp for the Queen's death. Are, are you saying it's pretty fucked up that that is being said? Or are you saying it's pretty fucked up that he did that to the Queen? No, I, I don't think it's fucked up that's being said at all. I think it's fucked up that Klopp has killing the, killed the Queen. Strouds, I mean, I Ferguson killed zero queens. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about the two listeners we occasionally get in, in England are not going to respond well to this. Unless they're from the north, then we may have a... Uh... We, we may have a chance. Um, yeah. So because the queen died, there was a lot of Premier League games postponed. So we don't have as many games to talk about with regard to Bro, Premier League. I've got a, I've got a gripe to pick there. I completely understand the national significance that domestically would be felt by the loss of such a significant, you know, matriarchal figure. Um, But she was, I mean, she was... They've had contingency plans for what to do in the event of this for like the last 20 years. It just shocked me how unprepared they seemed to like, like they didn't have enough police in the, in certain areas to handle uh, marquee premier league matchups. So those had to be canceled. Uh, it's just, it just, I don't know. It just seemed wild that, 10 days after the passing, you know, Leeds and United couldn't play. And what was it, like Chelsea and Liverpool or somebody couldn't like, it just, I don't know that that was that felt like we were still living in like the early 1900s or something. Uh, just with how slow they were able to have the infrastructure to be able to, to carry on. Yeah. Plus, I'm really, I'm really biased because I really wanted to watch those games, Listen. and I, I'm not, and I don't have, an, I don't have an affectionate feelings towards uh, the monarchy that you know we fought our independence to get away from. Yeah, actually, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth was sold. She was actually the reigning monarch. We got her. <laughs> cool fact about Queen Elizabeth is, until this Qatar World Cup, she was alive for every single World Cup ever. That- that is objective. That is that is dope, and honestly, that also bolsters our claim that this World Cup is bullshit. <laughs> because if it wasn't given to Qatar, it would have happened in the summer. I know, and so then the Queen would have four more years of having been alive for every single World Cup, and she got to 
What's crazy is in 1966, she got to hand the World Cup winning trophy to Bobby Moore, and that was such a long time ago. <laughs> um, anyway, that's the queen. That's the that's our monarchy. Hey, hey, so I I know we're kind of making light of of something, and like obviously, we're, it's a it sucks that that it happened, but she lived a really full, you know, accomplished, incredible life. I would um, literally sacrifice. <laughs> all of my friends and family to have lived through every single World Cup. Yeah, that she did. Like I, I sucks, sacri- sucks that you're sacrificing me, but yeah, you know, that's okay. Uh, whatever, whatever you gotta do. But <laughs> what does also is kind of sucked on me is we're gonna have to probably go through this again pretty soon, considering uh, you know the the new monarch King Philip is like what seventy eight years old or seventy six years old. Yeah, we're gonna go through this again in the next five years. That guy does not. He looks older than his mom. Yeah. Somehow. That's not good. He does not look good. Um, <laughs> now, speaking of a not such a good look, uh, Raja Nangalon has been suspended indefinitely by Royal Antwerp for being caught vaping on the side of the bench. During an active game. Honestly, Incredible. I'm just disappointed that it was an e-cig. Yeah, like someone like Roger Nangolan, I feel like should have been like ripping some home rolled, just like pure tobacco. I don't know. Like, oh, I'm only disappointed in that. But as someone who doesn't really give a fuck about Royal Antwerp or Roger Nangolan, this is an incredible story. There's photos too of him and just covered in a cloud of smoke. Hey, he's a vape god. <laughs> um, oh, he's he's probably gonna get some sick endorsements in in Europe for vape for vape companies, as he should. Yeah, and he's suspended indefinitely, so gotta make your money somehow. <laughs> um, can we can we cover the? I mentioned already that you know the queen not being alive for it kind of. Uh, Calls the validity of this World Cup into question. Should we talk about that? There was a trial event in Qatar. And, yeah. Uh, so I guess. Donnie, they, how'd, it, how'd it go? They ran a Qatar fire drill, quote unquote, where they wanted to see, you know, see how all their systems and that their the infrastructure for the game day logistics was working. And in short, it was a disaster. There was water shortages, which is really something you can't have in a desert environment. Um. There was mile-long lines for concessions, and this revolutionary weather-controlling bullshit cooling system that was going to be supposed to, you know, cool down the stadiums for the players and the fans kind of didn't work. Which begs the obvious conclusion that why did we think Qatar could terraform their country for this <laughs> World Cup? Couple things. So clearly, the only reason there were water shortages was because the cooling system wasn't working. So if they if they fix the cooling system, I'm sure the water shortages will resolve themselves. And the other other point is, if they could have successfully uh, terraformed their environment to make it less hellscapey, don't you think they would have already done so and not just waited to do that for the World Cup? Like, but but there's gonna be a spy a robot spider DJ. That shoots fire. Yeah, that's going to help with the heat issues. That's a problem with the cooling system doesn't work. Yeah, we're what, 33 days out from the World Cup? I believe we are 33 days from Qatar's opener and 34 days from the U.S. Uh, game one against Wales. Yeah, this is, this thing's going to be so fucked. Yeah, got to be. Like, it already is <laughs> I know, but like then we're gonna really watch how fucked it is. Yes, yes. We've been talking about this, and we're we're finally gonna view it. And, and it seems like Fox has taken Fox Sports has taken the company stand that they're not going to like mention even as a footnote any of the issues and concerns uh, with how Qatar has gotten and prepped and running this World Cup. Um, so that's a, that's a that's a win for journalism, huh? <laughs> so. Fox did exactly what I expected them to do. Yes. <laughs> At least they're consistent. <laughs> um, little MLS corner, just because we both went to uh, some recent MLS playoff games. I thought we'd just spend a minute yeah. talking about the experiences. 
Yeah. Um, so I've been a season ticket holder of Austin FC um, since the inaugural season last year. Uh, gone to a good, good number of home games, and we had our first playoff game in the history of, of the team, which it's not that long of a history. It's just the last two years. But really fun playoff game. Team went down 2 nothing pretty early and was feeling a bit deflated and then got a opposing team red card, last-minute penalty, overtime, penalty shootout. Really, really fun environment. Pretty hot. Pretty, pretty hot. We got, got lucky that we were in the shade, but – it was a it was a fun fun game to watch, you know. Classic MLS, hectic craziness going all all over the place. Uh, but guys trying really hard. Yeah, I watched it on TV. It was a fun game. Um, I was at the FC Dallas game last night, their playoff game against Minnesota United. They uh, went down one zero, equalized one one. Then we also went into a penalty shootout and uh, won on the penalty shootout. And it just always Dude. confirms that I understand that a lot of people think that penalties is a ridiculous way to decide a game. But I've always brought up the point that unlike in a sport like hockey, where in their playoffs you can have an unlimited amount of overtimes because players have time to rest, you you there's only so much soccer that human beings can actually play. And really, 120 minutes is like even too much, but that's pretty much the most we can do. And and I should voice up because I have always I've often been in the camp voicing the opinion that penalties are a very unfair way to determine the outcome of a well even fought soccer match. That being said, I will admit I do not have a better solution. So I'm I'm not saying we need to get rid of penalties to you know in these knockout tournament style because we don't, I don't there isn't anything better. But I do like to point that they are unfair. And Absolutely. It's, it's kind of it's kind of funny because my next point is going to take a hit based off of the results of these last two games. Uh, but professional soccer really needs to adopt the ABBA uh, penalty format, even though in both of our games our teams kicked second and won. Um, that, that, stats, that's actually against the statistical. The stats support. I think the first team to kick in the, in the normal format wins almost sixty percent of penalty kicks. In, in a bunch of like lower leagues in in European countries, uh, a few years back, tested ABBA format where first team kicks, second team kicks twice, then first team kicks twice, second team kicks twice. You kind of do the ABBA kind of a snake format, and I think the results came back with the uh, second team to kick. So the first team to kick twice won like fifty one percent of. So it was a 1% or less than 1% variance, whereas you had a 20% variance in the standard format way. So here's what I'll say about penalties. I actually, I would like to see that. I'm okay with seeing that format applied. I think that would be good. Um, overall on penalties, is it unfair? Is it harsh? Absolutely. Is it? Is it the best part? Incredible TV. Most dramatic part of the sport? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why would you... Why would people want to get rid of that drama? Because it is... It's it's incredible. It's incredible. It is incredible. It's, and to be there for one was, as you know, I know, unreal. Dude, dude, the the way your guy, your your fifth taker to win the game, fucking shipped the keeper. And then the long pause beforehand, too. The long... When he had the long pause, I was like, I turned to um, Kel and my buddies that I was at the game with, and I was like, oh my god, he's gonna fucking miss. Why is he waiting so long? He's, all he's doing is thinking about... He's icing himself. He's thinking about it more. Um, no, I mean, penalties, penalties are wild, but I can guarantee you I won't love them if we somehow make it to a penalty situation and we, and we get knocked out of the World Cup on penalties, right? Like, um, But on a neutral game, I fucking love penalties. Love them. Um... You know, as, as those of you familiar with the Bible, God no God has no wrath like the Old Testament God. Except for God two months before World Cup, where he just destroys everybody. Before we jump into that, uh, last thing on MLS Corner, I wanted to point out that uh, Greg's clubhouse favorite for the backline pairing, both Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman lost in the first round of the MLS playoffs. Therefore... They'll be on ice uh, competitively 
for the next 34 days. Well, Something to think about. And that's actually one of the reasons I was pulling for Dallas. Uh, a, I thought the Texas rivalry would be fun semifinal or conference semifinal, but I also didn't want Ferreira, uh, who's probably going to be Greg's starting striker, to also be on ice for you know five weeks competitively before the World Cup. So I'm glad that you guys made it through, and I hope that Dallas loses to Austin. But if Dallas does beat Austin, I'll at least be able to be like you know emotionally hedged there. Yeah, I uh, whichever. T- Whichever team wins the uh, the Texas Derby, that's the team I want to win at Moscow. Yeah, same. Um, okay, Jesus Christ, so many guys have gone down. We're gonna miss the World Cup. This it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. I don't it's... care who it is. I don't care if it. This is the shittiest time to pick up an injury right before the World Cup. But so Diego Jota confirmed out for the World Cup. Ngole Conte, huge that's part, fair. huge part of that France midfield that won the World Cup in 2018, out for the World Cup. I think they've only. I think. I think France have like only lost one or two games ever where Pogba and Conte were in the midfield together, which is they they've played a good number for France. Yeah. So it's yeah. Reese James out of the World Cup, which is tough because he was having a phenomenal season. I think. I think. I think he to me easily the best informed English player uh, of this season, and even if you like go from last season into this season, he was playing incredibly. Yeah. Um, but not, not, you know, that's a big one. Another big one for somebody who had really picked up his game since moving to Roma, Paulo Dybala, uh, out for a couple months now. Um, a couple others too, Ronald Ar- 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 Araujo, uh, Alexander Isak, Sweden, another English guy, Calvin Phillips, but I honestly completely forgot that he was... A soccer player, because yeah, I dude, see. he's not a soccer player. He's a dude who sits on the bench at Man City and collects a fat paycheck to do nothing. Ah, we would have called that the last year's Jack Grealish. Pedro Nito out. Oh, poor Marco <sighs> Royce out again. When uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum out, and here are the doubtfuls: Pogba, which means France could go into this World Cup without Conte and Pogba, which would that is tough. <laughs> One thing about Pogba, I did see he posted on socials that he returned to Juventus training this week. Right. So, obviously still doubtful, you know, and, and he's got a couple of things that he has to push through, right? He's got to probably get some PT, right, before he'll be able to actually play competitively for France. And he needs to, in that push for club PT before, you know, the next month, He's got to avoid aggravating anything or picking up any knocks. I feel like we've seen with Pogba, you know, at United and even before that, when he's gotten an injury, oftentimes he's picked up or exacerbated the injury in his attempts to come back. Uh, and that's what, what, what has always kept him out extended periods of time. Correct me if I'm wrong. There. No, yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, Argentina getting another blow and Di Maria being out. I, I think I – think, there are better odds for Di Maria. Yeah, he's 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 doubtful. He's the Pogba, Di Maria, and Kyle Walker. They're under the doubtful category. No, yeah, and I, I was. I, I think like between Pogba and Di Maria, I, I think I, I think you can bank on Di Maria. Uh, will make the squad, barring setback. But you know that once again, what does that really mean? And then um, the last one there is another English right back that uh, is a big part, actually a huge part of Garrett Southgate's system because he plays him as a third center back in the back three Kyle and, and, and he kind of allows that attacking right right wing back to stay more more uh, aggressive and, and upwards uh because of Kyle Walker's blistering pace yes despite the fact that he's 31 well now that he's getting older he's picking up injuries you know how will his pace you know kind of uh stick one thing we should mention he's <laughs> the best part going... of that take is eventually you will be right I know, it's I just, know. you just gotta Can't wait out the years till we get there that's why I just got to keep calling back. I, I, I have to keep making fun of myself uh, by calling back to that to the bit because eventually I'll be right and then I'll act like I knew it all along, you know, which I did. There's no uh, such thing as a bad take, just a premature take. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of English right backs and injuries, though, we should mention he's going to be expected to be fine and, and playing for his club before the, before the World Cup break. But Trent Alexander-Arnold picked up, picked up an injury you know, what, two match days ago? Um, yeah. So, so, so many people have 
varying opinions on Alexander Arnold. I think listeners would know where where we stand. He's not exactly a great defender, uh, but he can play a pretty ball. So it'll be interesting just to see if he, if he back, does Southmouth or Southgate go with uh, <laughs> Southgate go with TAA. Um, if even if he doesn't have the extra defensive capability of Kyle Walker, or would he maybe go with a Kieran Trippier, who's been playing really well for Newcastle? That there, there's some interesting options and debate that the unfortunate lack of Reese James will prevent, or will present Southgate to have to choose from. I think that Kieran Trippier will play as a proper right back. I think John Stones and another center back, possibly Harry Maguire. Will be part of the back three. I think Luke Shaw will play on the left side of the back three, and I think Ben Chilwell will come in at left back. That seems like something that Southgate Southgate would do. Southgate. Southgate. <laughs> that seems like something he would do to me. Yeah, I guess the one thing he does seem is is because is Kyle Walker. He's taller than Luke Shaw, right? Uh, I feel like Southgate's a bit of a height supremacist with his back three. You're a, you're a height supremacist. <laughs> Let's see. Kyle Walker is listed at 5'10", so that's not exactly tall. Not but... not exactly big. Uh, Luke Shaw's 6'1", dude. Oh, shit. He's just wow. so, he's so wide that he looks like he's 5'8". <laughs> Honestly, I also think, you know, especially So this means season... that Kyle Walker is like 5'9", and Luke Shaw's like 6 feet. Honestly, Donnie, though, I think uh, he might be from from foot to head. He might be uh, six foot. But here's the thing. Especially the early part of every season when he's got a little bit more you know, mass to his donk, I believe he is pulled down closer to the, to the Earth's gra- uh, core because of, because of his size that from the field to his head, he's still shorter. <laughs> Fair enough. So that's something I could see him doing. It'll be interesting. Uh, obviously, we have a, an additionally vested interest in his in, in the choices that Southgate do, makes. You know, with that second group stage game being with the U.S. Uh, so it'll it'll be really interesting and obviously heartbreaking to see that you know a guy like Marco Royce miss out on the World Cup again. Yep. The only and World we're Cup gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have more was the worst ever World Cup for Germany in our lifetime, <laughs> that which sucks. is so sad. Uh, and and you know this won't be the full list. There's going to be more people in the you know I think uh, most teams have every team has a game a week, and most have a, a midweek game and weekend games every week between now and you know what November fifth or ninth when clubs are supposed to the clubs and competitions are halting. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch this space. Hopefully our boys can come back. Chris Richards still hasn't made the bench for Crystal Palace since that injury he picked up right before our international break. That is concerning. Yeah. All right. Were there some contracts you wanted to talk about? It's really one contract I wanted to talk about. The floor is yours, sir. We, we, in the lead-up to other World Cups, often kind of highlight and talk about, you know, who's who's a, a player that we're watching that we're excited for that's going to, like, you know, either make – announce themselves on the international stage, a la Jaimes Rodriguez for Colombia in the 2014 Brazil World Cup, or – maybe a player that is really well-known in his league and his competition, but doesn't have the full respect of, of people. Um, and, and the World Cup is an incredible opportunity to wow a lot of potential teams and suitors. And I bring this up in terms of contract conversations because we've seen a lot of, you know, of clubs like Barcelona uh, adopting recently the old Bayern move of wait till players are in the last year of the contract, negotiate with them and sign them on a free uh, so that you don't have to pay big transfer fees. And I have a feeling we're going to see this 
with a lot of there's a, a decent number of like marquee players that will be out of contract at the end of the season. And I have a feeling a lot of them are going to be banking on a World Cup showing as a way to either demand even more money from their current team or most likely get some of the big dogs to pony up the bucks. And one player that I will be watching in particular, and I know you will be too, with just your interest and enjoyment of how he plays, is the Milan star reigning Serie A player of the year, Rafael Leao. Mm. whose contract doesn't end this year, but his contract ends the following year. But he has kind of been stalling negotiations with Milan. Milan have, have made it very clear they wanted to have a, a contract renewal in place before the World Cup. And I have a feeling he's going to stall that until the World Cup and then see if he has this an all-star, you know, game-breaker World Cup. Probably going to go somewhere to England or one of the big, you know, big clubs in Spain or, or, or France. Uh, and it'll just be, there'll be one example of, I'm sure many a player who will do this. Yeah. It's an interesting kind of thing to watch and, and to keep, keep an eye on. And I'll, I'll probably do a little research for like our next, our next or our first uh, world cup preview pod and maybe have like a, here's like the, the contract players to watch. Yeah. I like that. All right. Big focus of this episode is going to be catching up on the Champions League, kind of where things stand. And now we're done talking about the Champions League. <laughs> so uh, That was, with, that was good, good talk, Donnie. With two games to go, looking at two games to go for everyone, all right? Group A, Napoli with 12 points, first in the group, Liverpool 9, Ajax 3, Rangers 0. So this kind of went exactly as we expected, more or less, with Napoli and Liverpool going through. What we didn't expect is that Napoli are a fucking wagon. And I think there's, there's enough, like, we both expected Napoli and Liverpool. I did, so that by default means we did not think Ajax would make it through. But I am shocked that they only have three points through four games. And the fact that they just haven't been able to compete on the field against Napoli or Liverpool in, in the games that they did play. Well, this is uh, actually raising Eric Tenhog's stock in the bald manager power rankings, how bad Ajax <laughs> are doing without him. So, um, could be a shakeup in the power rankings. <laughs> uh, in, in Group B, we've got uh, Club Bruges in first. On, on ten points, and they're to, they're they're pretty much they've already they've already made it through. They've already okay. they've already been. So Club Bruges, pretty sure Eric and I told you guys that you guys were fucked. We are so sorry. We, I mean, honestly, I'm not even sorry because you guys get the last laugh, and I love that for you. Uh, first time ever advancing into the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Yeah, egg egg all over our faces. Uh, in our hair, you know, dripping down our chin. It's just everywhere. Porto's in sixth place. Atletico Madrid are in four or in third place, and Bayer Leverkusen are in third. Um, <laughs> you fucked that up. You read it. I'm God damn it. The point totals next to the teams. So let, let me let me hit that again. Bruges in first <laughs> at ten points, already advanced. Porto in second on six points. Atletico Madrid are in third on four points, and Leverkusen are in fourth on three points. <laughs> Fuck numbers and you, Don. Leverkusen have a really hot new coach. And when I say hot, <laughs> I just mean the man is attractive. It's a good-looking dude. Shabby Alonso. Yeah, um, although he got kind of pummeled on his first Champions League game. Yeah, you know, I don't think they brought him for the Champions League. I think they brought him to right the ship in the Bundesliga. For sure. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's also way too early to even judge his, his team's performance in a, a competition like Champions League. It'll be it'll be really interesting. Obviously, Porto uh, with you know two-point lead on Atletico and a three-point lead on, on Leverkusen have the upper hand in getting out of the group, but it'll be, it should be a tight finish between those three teams and the, with the two remaining matches played. Yeah, really excited in that Group B has turned out to be very, very delightful. And if Atletico Madrid don't get out of the group stage, it starts to beg the question of, is it time for Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone to mutually part ways for the benefit of both? Like, I, 
actually think both might be better off if they part ways, but maybe it's a discussion for us to have after the group stage is over. But just just teasing it out a little bit. Yeah, percolate on it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, group C, Bayern Munich, 12 points. Inter, 7 points. Barcelona, 4 points. And Victoria Pleasant, no points. That, that that did go out. We don't have to apologize to you guys, to Victoria Pleasant. That's going exactly as we thought it would. Uh, Barcelona on the verge of being eliminated. Yeah, I mean, with the matches in hand and everything, basically all Inter had to do is avoid defeat to Victoria Pleasant in, in next match day. And they are in, and Barcelona is in the Europa League. So... I think we can kind of say this, this this group is done and dusted yeah. and Barcelona have failed to advance out of the group stage. This is the second time in a row. Correct. And um, really makes you wonder about all that great work that Xavi's doing, considering he has a worse uh, win percentage than Ronald Koeman as Barcelona manager. In fact, he has the worst win percentage through 50 games of any Barcelona manager in the last 20 years. That's pretty bad. <laughs> pretty okay, bad. group D. Anyone in this group can progress. This group is wild. Yeah. Uh, Tottenham on seven, Marseille on six, Sporting on six, and my guys Frankfurt on four. We still in it, baby. And we still in Marseille, it. Marseille, you know, after after uh, Max Shade two were on zero points, they they've gotten back to back wins uh, in that little. Um, kind of double pivot reverse fixture uh i love i love working the term double pivot even when you love the term pivot double pivot specifically so yeah any any, anybody can make it through here tottenham obviously had to feel comfortable in that the fact they're in first although only one point separates them in third place europa uh league so it'll it'll be really fun to watch this group uh, Tottenham have not really impressed in their actual matches. I feel like a lot of them they've uh, pulled them out, kind of with a skin of their teeth. Frankfurt's not not going away, Donald. So you've got something to hold on to there. My fighting, my my fighting Franks. <laughs> Frankfurt should have to have a guy on the team named Frank. That should be like a rule. Their logo should be a like Frankfurter, you know, like a, a nice a nice hot dog. Oh. I am very familiar with dogs, my friend. It, 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 it should be like how Arsenal has Gunnersaurus. It should be that kind of mascot. <laughs> actually, at the games. All right. Another pretty exciting group. group yeah, e. we got Group E. Um, Chelsea. <laughs> are in first on seven points. They just uh, swept Milan in the two fixtures. So a win in at Chelsea, and then return win at Milan. Uh, Salzburg are in second on six points. Milan in third on four points. And Dynamo Zagreb are in fourth also on four points. But Milan have currently the tiebreaker over Zagreb, even though, you know, there's still another another match to be played. So, the good news for Milan is you guys don't have to play Chelsea again. And, and Milan control their own destiny, right? Yes, all you have to do is win. Uh, so, all I have to do is win twice, uh, and the the good part is they've already played at Salzburg and drew. So the re- the return fixture for that is the game in Milan and Salzburg have been a much much better home team in Champions League over the last two years than they have been on the road. Uh, Zagreb will be very interesting uh, to kind of see how that plays. That place tends to be rocking you know the the fans really do come out and support and and prevent an intimidating atmosphere and this is still a Milan team that does not have much uh experience or you know let alone success in uh in European competition question is is about is your question about group f no weird oh it's about you skipping group f no no i'm still on group b I have a couple. There's a couple things we're gonna have to discuss, my friend. Uh huh. <laughs> no, no. I, I did. I, you know, I got you. I did think that the draw between Salzburg and Dynamo Zagreb uh, was a really exciting game. You know, it was it, did, it was just one one, so not a lot of goals, but it was uh, pretty fun to kind of watch those two uh, underdogs punch at each other for 90 minutes straight. Fair to say that uh, Tuchel v Gates has been a big theme of the podcast 
in the last until Tuchel was fired last episode. And when you declared me the winner. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, if Tuchel, <laughs> if you hadn't won Tuchel v. Gates when you did, let's say Tuchel was uh-huh. still this in is, charge of... This is one of them, be careful what you wish, wish for. If he was still in charge of Chelsea, do you think they would have gotten, Chelsea would have gotten six points over Milan? Absolutely not. That, that Chelsea team was playing like hot garbage. Okay. Now the second thing we have to discuss. The Tamori Red Garden. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with me that Tamori was pulling back and trying to hold Mason Mount? Would you agree with me on that point? No, because I know where you're going to try to take this. So, no, you don't agree that with his arm extended, grabbing his shoulder, what would you call it? I'm not even dignifying that question with response. I'm responding to your your uh, continuation of where you're going to take this argument, which is then doesn't that determine that it must be a red card? Because in every single league I've watched this year, uh, which is the top four, and obviously not the French Champions League, uh, I see players make that, that on the shoulder, not grabbing the actual jersey, you know, move and in the box almost every single every single week, and never once get red carded this year. Have I seen it in the Premier League all the fucking time? And you're not in the, the Premier League. league. You're not. This isn't the Premier League. I understand the Premier that, League but... is is it. it it's officiated slightly differently than the Champions League. That's no. In in every in every I'm, I'm just telling you 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 ask the questions and I'm I'm giving you the answer that that I have. That is a it was the wrong call. I had multiple Chelsea supporters who I am friends with reach out to me and say they completely disagreed with the call as well. They thought that the ref was was just wrong. Okay. I think that it is disingenuous to say that Tamori wasn't grabbing and holding Mason Mount because he was. I mean, he just was. He was grabbing onto his shoulder. That is a fact. He was holding and pulling him back, grabbing his shoulder. That is undeniable. I think it's totally disingenuous to say that. And so by the law of the game, by the letter of the law, that is the, the correct decision was made. I just, if, if you read the rule, denying a goal opportunity, and the exact examples they use are holding, pulling, these are the examples they use in the rule. It has to be a red card. I completely disagree. But point to me into the rule. Don't tell me what you see. I, Show me in the rule what, why I, you disagree. What we always talk about, we talk about all the time, whether it's rules in sports or actual laws in the world, that rules are only rules if they are enforced. And the the letter of the law in, in, in your, your Premier League competition, which is officiated differently, um... That is the same letter of the law of the rule in the Premier League, yes. and it goes, and that 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 infraction goes uncalled every fucking time. And so, through years and years and decades and decades, officials have said that they are not enforcing that rule. Therefore, that is no longer the rule. So, the fact that this is the time that it is enforced is is, is incorrect. Okay, so. To me, as long as something is in the rule book, it is a rule, and it can be enforced. But if something is not consistently enforced, then the then the rare time that it is enforced, it is unfair to the team that is enforced on. But it doesn't mean it's the wrong call. It, There's a difference it, between something being call. unfair and something being the wrong call. If Th- something that, is there is unfair, a there. if something is unfair, then it is the wrong call because above all, the referees need to officiate the games evenly and fairly. You would agree. You would, I'm sure, agree. If a call, if if a ref was calling tackle x a foul on yellow team but calling tackle the exact same type of tackle a clean tackle on the the blue team that would be unfair and wrong of the ref that would be poor officiating i would agree with that yes therefore poor officiating you 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 are declared to have done a poor job officiating because you have made the wrong calls therefore it was the wrong call See, that's the that's the thing there. This call in isolation was the correct call. You can't you can't live in isolation. It, it, everything is all part of an ecosystem where everything you have to take into the account of all of these happening before and after. And also in the way that these competitions have been officiated and cards have been levied has not been consistent at all. Koulibaly in the first leg uh, took out 
three Milan players within 15 minutes and didn't get a yellow card. So the severity of cards for challenges was not held up in this in this competition between these same teams. A couple of things I'm going to add. One, it it was very funny when you sent that of uh, the quote of the the rules expert who said it wasn't a foul, and then she pleaded why the ref had to give a red card. That was objectively funny. But the second thing I'll add is... Yeah, that's, that's great content for the podcast that the, the listeners don't even know what you're talking about. That, that, that's that's really relevant here. We reference our group me all the time. Mm. With, usually with, with context that actually makes all sense. All right, here's my second point. When you bitch about refs as much as you do, which you constantly whine about refs, you whine about refs more than any other person I know. You lose... Well, it's just us now. Uh... Things got a little heated there, and Eric um, probably made the correct decision to uh, end our FaceTime call before things got out of hand. So just to wrap up um, Group E, I think we're done talking about that. Uh, Real Madrid in Group F. Sorry, Group F. Real Madrid on 10 points, RB Leipzig on 6 points, Shakhtar Donetsk on 5, Celtic on 1. Um, let's see, Real Madrid are obviously going to go through, and it's just going to be a tight contest here between Leipzig and Shakhtar Donetsk, so we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see here, Group G, this is kind of another one that went as we expected, Man City on 10 points, Dortmund on 7, Sevilla and Copenhagen each on 2, a really great game between Man City and Dortmund. Um, Dortmund took a 2-0 lead against City, only for City to come back with late goals from John Stones and uh, Erling Haaland. That was definitely one of the more exhilarating matches of the Champions League so far in the group stage. And then finally, Group H. It looks like PSG and Benfica, both on eight points, are going to progress, with Juve on three set to crash out, which means uh, Allegri's job there is really in a repute. And Maccabi Haifa got a win over Juventus, so I think uh, they should be really proud of themselves there. But you know they're likely going to be out of it. So, but plenty to play for between those two for Europa League. Europa League. All right, um, I am not going to dive in to do the league recap by myself, but you can follow us on Twitter at OwnGoalPod. And you can email us, ongoalpod at gmail.com. And hopefully we will be back with another episode soon so we can talk about more of the um, domestic leagues. And with that, I will bid you adieu. And um, hopefully I can chat up with Eric soon. Bye. It's in, it's in goal. It's a gift. He's almost done well to get that in because he's ahead of the near post. He's almost behind him. Sticks his left leg out. It almost hits his heel. And goes straight into the bottom of the corner. Bottom corner of the net. Gets ahead of the ball. It's the inside of his car. Got no chance to clear the keeper. Astonishing position to get.